What's going on, students? It's so good to see all of you today. Those of you that are here with us uh, in person at Youth and those of you that I know are joining us uh, through Instagram Live after your practices, after whatever it is you're doing, uh, I'm just so glad uh, that we have a few moments uh, right now uh, to just spend some time together. You know, the, the youth band just, man, they just sang some, some amazing songs and and right now, I want us to focus our hearts on the Word of God. I want us to dive deeper into the Word of God together to, to see what the Lord is teaching us tonight. You may recall last week we began a brand new series called Pathway to Peace, where we are going chapter by chapter through the book of Philippians. You may remember last semester we went chapter by chapter through the book of James, and that was an awesome study. And we even got to hear from uh, some special speakers, some some high school students of ours. Uh, but right now, we are going chapter by chapter through the book of Philippians. And last week, we started it out looking at Philippians 1 and looking at what it means to live for Christ, right? And, and the whole idea that we've been asking ourselves as we've started this series is, how do we find peace, right? And, and Paul, through the book of Philippians, offers us the answer to that. Uh, but... You know, a lot of times when, when we're asking ourselves a question like that, we may look at a chapter and say, okay, in each chapter, Paul might talk about peace and, and specifically say, okay, here's how you have peace. Uh, but what we really see is through the book of Philippians, Paul is offering really four different qualities that we need uh, to have in our lives or four qualities that we need to live in order to find peace, right? It's not four individual discussions on different ways to find peace. It's, it's one discussion in which Paul talks about four different qualities that we need to have if we're going to find the peace that Christ offers us. And so last week, again, we talked about what it means to live for Christ as his representative, right? What it, what it means to represent Christ or represent Christ to the world. And this week, we're, we're going to swap gears just a little bit, not, not a whole lot, but just a little bit, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to live like Christ, right, and how that helps us find peace. Uh, so as we begin tonight, uh, I want us first, I want us to, to open up uh, our Bibles, I want us to turn in Scripture to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read through all of Philippians 2. And then as we go through tonight, there's really two main things that I want us to focus on it, and we'll re-highlight some of those scriptures as we go. All right, let's, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort in his love, 
any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, then... On the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joys. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Aphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier, and he, he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he, he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And certainly he was ill, in fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. That is Philippians 2. It, and just before we dive into things, just kind of remembering the setting of of where Paul is at. Paul is at Paul is in prison in Rome, uh, and still, just as we saw in Philippians one, we see it again here in Philippians two. Paul is very uncertain. 
Paul is very uncertain about what is going to happen to him in the days to come. Paul doesn't know what the next day holds, right? He's in prison right now. And he doesn't know if the next day he's going to be tortured or killed. It's very uncertain. But what we see is, just as we saw in in Philippians 1, we see here in Philippians 2 that Paul really has this sense of peace about him, right? The fact that he is writing letters of encouragement and and speaking the love of Christ to people and trying to encourage them and he's not giving up on his ministry, man, he's got some peace living inside of him. And so I think as we go through Philippians chapter 2, there's two, uh, really one thing that we see Paul talking about. And then the second thing, we'll so we'll talk about that. And then the second thing we'll talk about is how we apply that to our lives. And so I think the one thing that really sticks out to us here in Philippians 2 is what Paul calls the attitude of Christ. The attitude of Christ, and we specifically see this here in verses 5 through 11. Let me read these again to you. Listen to these verses. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is what Paul calls the attitude of Christ. He says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So here Paul lays out the attitude of Christ. And when we look at the attitude of Christ, there's really four main qualities that Paul lays out as being a part of the attitude of Christ. And so as we look here, Paul describes how Jesus lived, the life of Christ. And in verse 6, we see the very first thing that Paul highlights here. Right? Look at verse 6. Paul says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So here we see the first characteristic of the attitude of Christ is that Christ was humble. Christ was humble. Now to me, this is something that's very interesting to me, right? Christ was humble. And Christ was humble when he had every, literally every reason in the world to be prideful. Christ had every reason to be prideful. He's the Messiah. He's literally the Son of God. He can do miracles. He can heal the blind. He can raise the dead. I don't know about you, but if I was in his position and I could raise someone from the dead, I'd be going around, yo, look at look at this. Look what I did. Yo, I just raised this dude. He, this dude was dead. I just raised him from the li- raised him from the dead back to life. Or if I could heal a blind man, I'd be going up, all right, rubbing my hands together. Okay, all right, let's try it again. Let's let's see. Can I heal another? give another man sight, right? If I could do miracles, I don't think I'd be humble about it. I think I'd be telling people, yo, check this out. Look what I can do. But no, Jesus was humble. But he was also perfect. Like, again, I don't know about you, but if I was literally perfect, you bet I'd be telling my sister, guess who the perfect kid is? Me. Right? I, I, I don't think that I could contain that pride. 
He humbled himself. Right? So it says, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Though he was God, he humbled himself and recognized the authority that God the Father had over him. How powerful is that? You know, we even see uh, in John 17, when Jesus is praying, right? And this is John's, John's account of the prayer of Jesus right before he's arrested. And Jesus is praying to the Father. And he acknowledges that everything that he was able to do, everything that Jesus was able to do, Jesus acknowledges that it was because of God the Father. Man, how crazy is that? Like Jesus, God, can do miracles, humbles himself, and recognizes that he can do what he can do And he is who he is because of God the Father. He submits and recognizes that authority. You know, we also see in the Gospels that when Jesus would do miracles, we see this a lot in the Gospel of Mark too, that when Jesus would do miracles, it almost seems like the secrecy surrounding it, but, you know, Jesus wasn't trying to keep secrets, but when people would praise him for the miracles, he'd go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, don't say that. And a lot of it was because he didn't want the praise that the Father deserved to be given to him. He recognized that what he was able to do was only because of the Father, and he wanted the praise to be redirected to the Father, not to himself. So we see that Christ was humble. In verse 7, we also see that Christ sacrificed. Here's what it says. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form. So here we, we see, you know, I, I know we, we talk a lot in terms of Christ's sacrifice. And we talk about him sacrificing his life. And we're going to get there. That, that is another characteristic, which we'll see in just a few verses. But here I, I want to shift the focus on how Christ sacrificed here. I mean, Christ sacrificed. Right? It says that he gave up his divine privileges. Right? And then again, it says that he humbled himself. Christ sacrificed his divine prayer. Why? Why would he sacrifice when he is God? Why would he give up the, privilege, the privileges that come with being God when he is God? Why? And, and then maybe shouldn't we be asking the question that shouldn't we be sacrificing for him? And more importantly, like, you're giving, okay, you're giving up the privileges of being God, but... You're going to take on the position of a servant? Like the lowest position that you could take? Like you're going from one end of the spectrum to the other. You're going from God to being a servant. One end to the other. You're not just like giving up your privileges to be like halfway in between. You're giving up your privileges to go from one end to the other. From the top to the bottom. And shouldn't he have people serving him? He's God. I think this is just something really profound that we need to ask ourselves. But God, I mean, Jesus sacrificed his divine privileges. So we see that Christ sacrificed and he embodied that in his attitude. In verse 8, we see the third characteristic, that being that Christ obeyed. Christ obeyed. Here's what it says. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. 
So here we see that Christ was obedient. Again, it references that Christ was humble, right? So Christ being humble is the bedrock here. That's why it's the first characteristic. It's the foundation here. If he's not humble, he's not going to sacrifice. He's not going to obey. But again, the Son of God, God is man. He is the one doing the obeying here. Why? Why? Why is Christ obeying? Again, I think it goes back to that he understood that it wasn't all about him. Christ was the epitome of what it means to be selfless. He modeled selflessness. He recognized the authority of God the Father over him and he submitted to him. He submitted to God. Man, how powerful. Because we struggle so much with this. We want to be our own authority. We want to be God of our lives. But God himself, God in human flesh, said, even though I am God, I will submit to God the Father. I will obey. The final char characteristic we see of the attitude of Christ is, like I said previously, that Christ died. Christ died, and it says it there in verse 8 again, that he died a criminal's death on a cross. And in verse 9, it says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. So Christ died. And I know, yes, Christ literally died, and he died for our sins, and we talk about this all the time, but again, I want to shift gears. Not not to take away from the significance of that. That is by far the most... What, the death of Christ coupled with the resurrection of Christ, those are the two most significant events in human history and the two most important events in our faith. I don't want to take away from the significance of that, but I want to point out something too. I want you to catch what also happens in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 39 through 42. So here, Jesus is praying again before being uh, betrayed and arrested, and this is Luke's account of it. We, we read John's account, so, you know, just different perspective. And so here Luke is giving an account. And here's what Luke says. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he, there he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Christ didn't just physically die. He put his own desires to death here. He put his own desires to, de to death in order to receive the desires of the Father. Christ sacrificed. Christ died. Christ obeyed. He humbled, but at, at, at the core, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and sacrificed his privileges and became man and he obeyed the father even to the point of death even to the point of sacrificing his own desires and dying a criminal's death on the cross what a profound attitude to have the attitude of christ and so when we look at the attitude of christ i think what is left for us to ask is if that is the christ 
or not not the Christ. If that is the attitude that Christ embodied, how should we do that too? Right? How how if if that's the attitude that Christ had, how can we live like Christ? Not live like Mike, but live like Christ. And so I think in order to live like Christ, we need to live exactly like the attitude of Christ. Exactly how Christ lived. I think we need to embody the attitudes of the attitude of Christ, those qualities, those same four qualities. So what I want to do is I want to walk back through these, these four qualities. And I want us to just really to ask ourselves, how can we live these out in our life? Okay, so the, the first thing we talked about was Christ was humble. Christ was humble. And so in order to live like Christ, we need to live humbly. Right? I want to point out some different verses to you in Philippians 2. I want to point out verses 3 through 4. Here's what it says. Here's what Paul says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We have to live humbly. Right? Just as we talked about how Christ was selfless, living like Christ requires us to be selfless. You know, a lot of times when we talk about being humble or being selfless, we think a lot about it in terms of thinking of ourselves less. Or thinking less of ourselves. You know, it's always been said that being selfless is thinking of yourself less, not thinking less of yourselves. Right? You don't have to think that you're an awful person, but instead of always thinking about your own interests and your own needs, as Paul says, think about the needs of others more. Think of yourself less, not less of yourself. Right? And that's not some catchy phrase that I've made up. That that's man, but it's so true. That is so true. All right. I want to try something with you guys. Because what I really want us to see is that being selfless requires us to serve others. Okay, and a lot of times we 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 want to be selfish because we think that if we're not selfish, our needs will not be met. So I want to try something with y'all. Small group leaders, I on your clipboards, uh, you have a bag of balloons. And so here's what I want you to do. I want each student to get a balloon. And once you blow up that balloon and tie it, I want you to write your name on it. Okay? And if you have extra balloons, I just want you to blow those up. Don't write anything on them, but just blow those up too. And, and what you'll do is, students, once you blow up your balloon tie it, write your name on it, give it back to your small group leader, and your small group is going to your small group leader is going to take all of the balloons from your group and they're going to go put them back there in the, the balloon pit back there that you can see. Okay. And so students, I want you to blow those up and then uh, I'll give you more instructions. So take a second to blow those up. Okay, now that we have uh, blown all the balloons up. You've written your names on them. Small group leaders, put those in the pit. And so here's what I want you to catch. All right, we're going to do two things. All right, so it's really important. Listen, do not pop the balloons. Okay, first and foremost, do not pop the balloons. We're doing two things with them, so don't pop them. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you, and you may have seen this on the internet before, right? I want you to find your balloon. Okay, but here's the catch. 
I want you to help each other find each other's balloons, right? Don't don't just grab your own balloon. Help each other find each other's balloons. And I'm going to time you, and we're going to see how quick it takes for everyone to find their balloons and get back to the, their seat, and I want you to help each other, okay? So when I say go, walk, do not run, walk to the balloon pit and help each other find your balloons. Three, two, one, go. All right, so now that everyone found their balloon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give your balloon back to your small group leader. Small group leaders put those balloons uh, back in the pit. Uh, the pit's uh, probably 15 balloons less. Y'all popped about it. I think it was 15. Uh, Y'all popped 15 of them. That's okay. Uh, so put the balloons back in the pit, and we're going to do one, one last thing with them. Okay, and then you can keep your balloon. It'll probably drive me nuts, but I'll let you keep it. All right, here's what you're going to do. I want you to find your balloon, only yours. Do not touch anyone else's balloon. Do not give someone else's balloon to them. You are responsible for your balloon and only your balloon. And I'm going to time you to see how long it takes you to only grab your balloon. Look out for yourself. Don't look out for anyone else. Three, two, one, go. All right, now that everyone has found their balloons, back to seats. Hey, real quick, before we keep going, please do your best not to like throw your balloons up in there. I know I gave you the balloons. I told you you could keep them. I'm asking for it. But please try to like keep it like as contained as possible because uh, I'm, I'm very much like if you've seen the movie Up, Doug the dog, right, when he says squirrel, right, that's me. So whenever, you know, I've... I, I can, my attention can shift very quickly. So please help me just be able to stay focused and concentrate by not throwing your balloons up in there and being crazy. But yeah, I'm probably asking for it anyways. But okay, so here's my point. Why do we do this? All right, let me give you the times on this. So when you were helping each other, it took about two minutes, took about two minutes for everyone to find their balloons and get back to their seat when you were helping each other, right? When you are only looking out for yourself, some of you made it very quick. Right, Some of you got back quicker than when someone else was helping you, but overall, as a group, it took about 45 seconds longer for everyone to find their own balloon. It took about 45 seconds longer. And so, while some people may, made a, may have made it back quicker, it took, a, took other people a lot longer for their need to get met. And so, what I want you to see here is that, you know, a lot of times we want to be selfish so that we can fulfill our own need, but a lot of times it takes longer for all the needs to be met than when we work together. Right? When we work together, the need gets met. And sometimes it gets met in abundance. Right? Everyone's need got met, and it got met quicker when we work together. Yeah, and sure, everyone's needs got ended up getting met when you, everyone was selfish, but it took a whole lot longer for everyone's needs to get met. So there's a lot more benefit. If we'll serve people, the benefits come in abundance. But it requires us to be humble. If you're not humble, you're always going to want to look out for yourself, and you're not going to be willing to serve. So now that I've given you the balloons and you're thoroughly distracted, let, let's keep pushing through. The second quality that we need to to live out in our lives in order to live like christ we need to live sacrificially sacrificially look at philippians 2 verse 2 and then also verses 14 through 16 here's what it says verse 2 
Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Verses 14 through 16, here's what it says. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Okay. So specific, like, look specifically here in verse 2. Right, Paul says that we need to love one another, work together with one mind and purpose. All right, let me just key you in on something. If we're going to work together, and we're going to work together with one mind and purpose, that means that we can't work together with 50 minds and 50 purposes or 2 million minds and 2 million purposes, right? We've got to have one mind, one purpose. We have to work together. Now, here's the catch. Working together requires compromise. Working together requires compromise. And on a, on, on a deeper level, compromise requires sacrifice, right? You can't compromise if you're not willing to sacrifice. Because by nature, compromise means that people are sacrificing their own desires, either fully or partially in order to come to one understanding, one agreement, right? So if we're going to come together and work together with one mind and purpose, we're going to have to compromise, we're all going to have to do it. We're all going to have to be willing to sacrifice. And that requires us to be humble. It requires us to be humble. If you're not humble, you're always going to think you know what's best. You're always going to be selfish. You're not going to compromise or sacrifice. But here's the other thing that we're being asked to sacrifice. We're being asked to sacrifice our own desires. We're being asked to, to give up our will, our desires for those of the Lord. We're being asked to give up our desires in order that our desire to follow the world and, and choose to follow Christ. Just like Christ prayed and asked for the will of God to be done in his life, we've got to be willing to sacrifice. We've got to be willing to sacrifice status and privilege to serve those who Christ may be calling us to serve. If we're gonna if we're gonna live like Christ, we have to embody sacrifice because that was such a big part of the life of Christ. But we also we have to live obediently. We have to live obediently. I want you to look in verse 12. Here's what Paul says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. I also want you to look at James 1.22. Here's what it says. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourself. If we are going to live like Christ, we have to be obedient. We actually have to live out the word of God. Otherwise, it means nothing. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a follower of God. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a disciple of Christ. It doesn't matter if you know what Scripture says. What matters is the action. You cannot live like Christ 
just by saying that you're a Christian, just by saying you read scripture. Living like Christ requires action. Action. You have to do something. You have to be obedient. Obedience requires action. The final thing, final characteristic, if we're going to live like Christ, that we have to live out, is we have to live alive in Christ. Right? We have to live alive in Christ. Now you may say, well, Nathan, the, the last characteristic was that Christ died. I know. I'm getting there. We have to live alive in Christ. I want you to look at verses 17 through 18. Here's what it says. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Here's the thing. Being alive in Christ requires putting our sin to death. Being alive in Christ requires putting our sin to death. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go die. right? I don't want that. I'm not saying, oh, go out of church, go die. No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, What I'm saying is that your sinfulness needs to die. What I'm saying is that you need to be willing to get rid of anything that doesn't bring honor and glory to God. Now, it's no secret, the, the Word of God is full of things that we don't like to call sin. There are a lot of things in the Bible that we don't like to acknowledge as sinful. But the problem is, is that we don't get to interpret what sin is. God does. And when we try to put ourselves in a position where we are interpreting what sin is and what sin isn't, instead of being humble and submitting to the authority of God and being obedient and sacrificing, what we're really doing when we say, nope, that's not sinful, even though, God, you said that's sinful, it's really not, I don't think it is, we are taking ourselves from a position of submitting to God's authority to a place of going above the authority of God, placing ourselves in authority over God. Because if our word is more important and means more than the word of God and has more significance in the word of God, then that means we are placing God under our authority, which is blasphemy. Which is wrong on so many different levels. You do not get to interpret what sin is and what sin is not. That belongs. That authority belongs to God. Now we find ourselves in a position where we want to interpret what sin is and what sin isn't because putting our sin to death is hard. Acknowledging that the things that we like, the things that we're doing are actually in reality sinful and goes against what God wants and what, how God has called us to live, that is hard. And sometimes we really do feel like we're losing ourselves. Sometimes we really do feel like we're losing who we are. But honestly, you kind of are. You kind of are losing a part of yourself. You kind of are losing who you are. Because see, you're losing your old self, your old sinful self, your sinful nature. You're losing that. You're getting rid of it. But in, in its place, you are receiving a new, forgiven, and redeemed self. And I get it. It's hard. It feels like you're ripping part of yourself out. It feels like you can't have what you deeply desire. But that's, 
the desire of your sinful nature that you have to put to death. Death is not a pleasant thing. Death is painful. Death is hard. But resurrection is beautiful. Resurrection is glorious. And when we put to death our old sinful self, we receive a redeemed, forgiven, new self in Christ. See, being alive in Christ requires you to turn from your sin and walk the other way. You can't walk into sin and also walk into a life with Christ. You have a choice. You can go left into a life of sin, or you can turn right and walk into a life with Christ. You can't have both. It's one or the other. And my prayer is that you would choose to be alive in Christ and turn from your sin and walk the other way. And if we want peace, if we want the peace that Christ offers, it should be no surprise to us that we need to live like Christ. And we talked last week, Christ is called the Prince of Peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. When we look at the life that Christ lived, he always had peace. Always. I mean, he's, he's about to go to the cross and he's praying to the Lord, let your will be done, not my own. That's not something that screams chaos or unrest or being restless. That screams Jesus has peace in his final moments. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to the cross. And, and he submits himself to the authority of God. And he says, let your will be done, not my own. If he didn't have peace, he'd be trying to figure out every which way to get out of it. And to stop it from happening. But instead he just says, let your will be done, not my own. Not my own. Man, Christ has peace. And if we want to have that peace, if we want to receive that same peace, when, when we are faced with adversity in our lives, when we're faced with hardship and pain and suffering, when we're faced with those things in our life where we can say, Lord, let your will be done. I am yours. I submit to you. I want to follow you. I want your desires. I want your will in my life, not my own. I want your plans for my life, not my own. If we want to get to a place where we can say those things in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship, then we have to live like Christ. Because he's the only person who when faced with those things has had Complete and total peace. Complete and total peace. If we want to receive that same peace, we have to live like Christ. We have to live humbly. We have to live sacrificially. We have to live obediently. And we have to live alive in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this time that we can spend together, Lord. I thank you for the, just the way that you model to us through your Son. Jesus, we thank you that 
you give us a model through your life on how to live and how to receive the peace that you offer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embody the attitude of Christ. Lord, on our own, in our own strength, we cannot do this. We can't do this on our own. We need your help in order to live humbly, in order to live sacrificially, in order to live obediently and alive in Christ. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your courage. We need your boldness. We need your patience and your strength. Lord, I know that there's many people in here who do not have peace and they're not living like you. So Jesus, I pray that you would would turn our hearts to you and as we seek peace, that we would seek you and find peace through you. Lord, I thank you for the love that you have for these students. Lord, the way that you relentlessly love them. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would continue to pursue these students, pursue their hearts. Draw them closer to you. Give them the courage to be your light in the schools and to those around them. Give them the courage to say no to the world and say yes to you. To accept your desires for them and not their own and not the desires of the world. Lord, I thank you for the incredible blessing that it is. To not only be in a relationship with you, but be in a relationship with these students. Lord, what a blessing. And I thank you for that. What I pray as we go through the rest of our night, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would help us not only to know your words, but to live your words. And to live your words out to those around us. Lord, help us to be representatives. To live for you, but also to live like you. I ask all these things in your, your son's name. Amen.